As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Today's episode of Straight from the Source with Michael Russo is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Minnesota Wild tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Welcome to the inaugural, inaugural, uh, straight from the source. I don't know if that was the right way to introduce it. Straight from the source with Michael Russo is the first ever podcast that I'm bringing to the athletic app and anywhere you can get your podcast as well. Um, and what we're going to do here on, on this show is going to be a little different than my other podcasts, which are, is the Russo Suhan show, which is on talknorth.com and the athletic hour, which is on the fan plus on uh, the radio, and then we podcast that. This one is going to be where I interview guests from the Minnesota Wild um, and people of the traveling party, the Anthony Lapantas of the world, I'm sure, the Dan Myers. That'll be fun. <laughs> That'll be a solid hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the first ever one uh, will be Bruce Boudreau, uh, the Minnesota Wild coach. We're coming here from his, uh, his uh, house here in the basement of your house. Where, I mean, the one thing looking around this house, I mean, we're talking uh, a museum of your life um of i mean here i'm looking at your winter classic uh stuff uh for some reason a jim brown jersey i can't wait well, to find out about that well i'll be happy to tell yeah, you yeah why are so you're a jim brown fan well, i'm a cleveland brown fan and growing up uh watching the cleveland browns every sunday and jim brown obviously still think he's the best football player ever uh ever to come and play that uh 
My daughter found this one one year and got all the uh, her brothers in, and they bought it for me. And so we framed it and put it up an autographed jersey of Jim Brown. And um, I, I still think it's pretty cool. And I think of them every time I see it. That's pretty awesome. Um, you also have a great picture of Ovechkin. Um, you think he has a picture of you in his basement? You know what? Uh, no, unless he's throwing darts at it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, actually, I wouldn't say that because Alex and I, uh, through the whole thing, got along really well. And we still uh, hug each other every time we see each other. Uh, um, and uh, I, I just don't like him playing against us because he always seems to, to do some great damage. Yeah, I mean, it, it just... Um, I mean, the other thing I love the Boudreaux is that a, that's a Twins jersey, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you fr- throw out your first pitch, I, I threw out the there. first pitch of the Twins, uh, and the one on the right is the Nats, um, and I threw both of them. And well, the the Nat one, uh, I didn't. I <laughs> threw it for about. I threw it from the mound, and I got halfway. So I knew the <laughs> next one with the Twins. I better move up fifteen feet. So I uh, threw it. At least he caught it in the air. That's awesome. Um, and, and you know the one thing that we don't see down here is unfortunately, yeah, uh, yeah, your your comic books. Uh, oh, we don't. Yeah, the comic books. Uh, I used to be a huge collector of them and Sports Illustrated magazines, um, but uh, they got lost. <laughs> <laughs> that is still the almost unbelievable story. Is that you? Uh, I don't know who you hired to move your life here to Minnesota, but they seem to went. They, they seem to go south. First of all, it was a crazy thing because, I mean, we had a house in Hershey and we had a house in Anaheim. And so when because uh, we figured, OK, we'll always end up in Hershey. So uh, we, we kept our house there and we were renting a house in, in Anaheim. But when I got the job in Minnesota, we we uh, got the movers to move everything to Hershey. And then we thought we'd just move everything to here. But, um, you know, which was more than, uh, how do I explain this? When they did the estimate, they they came way under the mm-hmm. weight, and so they didn't have enough um, uh, enough uh, the bi- a big enough vehicle. So they had to so they had to get another one on the spot. And I don't know who they had renting it or or whatever, but uh, uh, they ended up crashing it <laughs> in in North Carolina. And I think because they had a week to get to Minnesota. They were going to Minnes- uh, going to store at North Carolina where they, they're from and then do another job and then come back and get the stuff and and take it to Minnie. And what uh, what happened is when they when the truck overturned and everything was wrecked, uh, we saw the the movers um, stealing the safe because they had to take it back to the, the police pound. And so we saw them taking the safe and putting it in their vehicle. And when we tried to prosecute, the prosecutor wouldn't prosecute because um, there was a lot of stuff going on in, in Carolina at the time. I think it was the riots. Oh, yeah. The, Charlotte. the Charlottesville riots and everything were, were going on. And um, so they didn't have time for us. But in the safe, I had uh, when I say I used to have the, all every Marvel comic known from 19. 19- 65 on and uh, i sold them so i could build a basement in hershey and the minute i i i um built the basement 
to our specs and everything. And we had a hockey rink in the basement, the, everything. <laughs> it was it was fabulous. Uh, but the the minute it got completed, I got the job in Washington. And, and so um, so now I had um, had re- started recollecting and I had numbers one through 20 of Spider-Man and worth a lot of money. And they were in the safe and obviously they were gone. And then you also had your championship rings and had all my rings and uh, uh, everything. There was six championship rings in the, in there, plus all our papers, our wedding papers and 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 insurance stuff and everything else. But uh, you know, as a typical guy, I wasn't thinking about all the papers for the house and and everything. <laughs> I wanted my rings and my comic books, and that's all I cared about. So uh, they're gone, and unfortunately, uh, insurance doesn't recoup their their true value i heard that the uh the uh that house in hershey that you sold you you ruined the property value of everybody in your community <laughs> yeah. well paul dvorsky who's uh, <laughs> was an nhl ref for 20 years uh um uh, he, he's so mad at me because i was his neighbor and i just kept i said listen i gotta get out of the, uh, the, the house i'm just selling so somebody gives me an offer i'm taking it and it was way underpriced uh, and undersold but so they were all a little bit mad at me but uh, I think I think in time they've they've forgiven me. Uh, you're listening to straight from the source. Uh, this is the new podcast uh, with Michael Russo on the Athletic app and anywhere you get your podcast. Bruce Boudreaux is kind enough to uh, be the first ever guest on this, and this podcast will be fun uh, throughout the year. I'm going to be interviewing uh, guests of the wild, whether it's players, the coach, uh, GM. Uh, maybe the owner, the president, uh, people in the broadcast party, people like that. Also jump on for bonus things during the season, uh, an exciting game, a tough loss, whatever. If I need to rip the coach, uh, things like that. If you need to do it, you got to do it, you know? <laughs> I appreciate that you that you appreciate that, that you get – seems like you get the job. I'm sure you don't like being ripped, though. No, I don't, I don't think anybody likes being ripped, yeah. but I understand your job. I understand uh, the marketing end of it. I understand – uh, the whole ramifications of being in pro sports, and uh, I wouldn't have taken this job. Uh, you know, if you can't take the heat, basically, uh, stay out of the kitchen type phrase. Right. So um, I don't like it. I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm really a, a positive guy that doesn't like listening or hearing negative things. But I get you do what you have to do. Yeah. And we'll talk a lot more about the team uh, as the podcast continues here. Uh, with Bruce, um, but but the one thing that that is interesting that you just said is that you are a. Ho- I mean, you know, people always ask me what's Bruce like away from the arena, and I'm like, he's a hockey guy. He's watching hockey. He's thinking about hockey. He's listening to XM radio. Uh, but you don't. I mean, if if it's a loss, you don't turn on NHL Network or listen. But if it's a win, you do, right? Yeah, and like uh, uh, if we're not playing, I'll watch every game. Yeah. Um, like I just finished watching the Flyers lose four to three, and. Um, wherever they are, Switzerland, yep. um, and you know, you just you watch and you. <laughs> for me, yeah, I'm looking at the Swiss team to see if there's any players that might be NHL caliber players, and and obviously it's an exhibition game, and the Flyers probably didn't take it as seriously as they should have. But I mean, uh, they still lost four to three to a, a Swiss team, which is probably they're pretty pumped. Yeah, I would figure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and you are, I mean, it is fair to say, like, what's a day in the life of Bruce Boudreaux? I mean, you are, it's hockey, hockey, hockey. It's in the wintertime um, until, you know, from the start of the season to the end of the cup, it's it's hockey. We don't watch anything in this house. 
uh, other than hockey. And that may sound silly. I mean, like starting at six o'clock when mm-hmm. hockey comes on. But uh, I'm very fortunate that my wife will sit down and watch it with me. And and we talk about it all the time because she's as, as into it as I am. Um, so that that's great. But uh, it, it it's really funny that it occupies um, 24 hours a day. And some people can't understand that and uh, and everything. But that's what makes me tick as far as as this job goes is is I'm totally consumed with it. And, uh, um, you know, people say, well, you got to have something else. And I don't. But I, I just love what I do. Yeah. So I'll continue to do it. I mean, if this was a burden or if this was something that, oh, I got to watch this or I got to do that, uh, then it wouldn't be then it wouldn't be worth doing. And uh, I would try to do something else. Like I love the whole broadcasting thing yeah. and, the, and all of that. But I mean, I would definitely try something else. But this was something that I love. And I mean, the goal has been the same since I've been five years old and and uh, I haven't achieved it yet. But. I always believe that there's that opportunity of winning a Stanley Cup. Yes. Take me, you know, it's funny because uh, I think sometimes uh, like you've been doing this a lot longer than me, but this is my 25th NHL season. And I always think about like, you know, the, like say the Florida Panthers, they haven't won a playoff round since 1996. So what that tells me is you have almost, I mean, you have almost what 30 year olds that have never 25 year olds mm-hmm. that have never seen them win a playoff round. Minnesota wild last went to the Western conference final in 2003 there's a lot of kids that just don't know your history, that you were one of the best junior players in history, that Gretzky broke all your records, that you were in the American Hockey League Hall of Fame as one of their best players and coaches in AHL history. Take me through your journey of growing up. You mentioned five years old, wanting to win a Stanley Cup. When did you become the great hockey player that you were? Oh, my. First of all, thanks for the kind words. I don't know if I was ever a great hockey player, uh, but I was a great lover of hockey. But... uh, um, you know what? I was pretty average through, um, uh, I'd say the, the, the squirts and the peewees and everything else it was always on a good team. It was always, <clears throat> I think, a, <clears throat> a fair to uh, average player uh, on good teams. We won. I was really lucky that we won championships all in my youth. Every year we won, it seemed. Then when we start to started to get to junior B, which is, Back in the day is, is when you start to get serious. And um, another famous, you know, a player that people would have heard in historians anyway, Dennis Marouk, who mm-hmm. play, scored 63 goals in the NHL. We were on, on the same team, and we tied for the uh, scoring championship uh, that year. And then uh, that team was so good that uh, pretty well all of them, I'm thinking 14 of them, went up and were rookies in Major Junior A the next year, and we won the Memorial Cup. And uh, we got the additions of, like, Mark Howe and a couple players that really uh, threw us over the top. And then the next year we got John Tonelli and um, and a couple guys, John Anderson, and mm-hmm. we ended up winning the Memorial Cup again. And But that's when I um, broke all the scoring records that year, my last year junior, um, that it's that it stood for like 27 years, and then Gretzky and came around, and he decided <laughs> to to play some games, and and he broke my records. But that was uh, that was an awful fun part, and and that's probably the the biggest thing that bothers me when I think back about my careers. I I think I probably could have been uh, a pretty good player, but I wasn't um, anywhere near dedicated enough 
at that age to become great. And over the years, I've talked to so many players that uh, are really good and how, how dedicated they were off the ice. Mm-hmm. And I was because everything came so easy to me as a as a uh, as a hockey player when I was young. I didn't, you know, uh, um, I didn't do any training, but I, I played hockey all summer. I mean. But I thought that was enough, but it wasn't enough. And and it catches up to you when you start when you come out of junior and you start playing against men. Mm-hmm. And it caught up to me and I didn't realize till I was about twenty seven or twenty eight uh, what it really took or got mature enough to understand what it was gonna be like um uh to be a hockey player. And then when by that time you're not classified as a prospect anymore. And even though I, I at that point in time, I'd work out and um, so hard all summer long and everything. It was just really difficult to get your foot in the door um, to be a, a solid NHL player. So I would play a couple games here for Toronto, and then I, then I ended up going to Chicago, playing seven games for them and, and stuff, but uh, um, never anything um, serious enough. But I knew <clears throat> once that... I wasn't going to be an NHL player uh, that I wanted to be an, uh, a coach in mm-hmm. hockey. I just wanted to stay in the game. I never anticipated. I always dreamed about being a coach in the NHL, but never anticipated being there. But because uh, once I hit 27, I was the captain or an assistant coach uh, of every team I'd, I'd played on for the next uh, X amount of years. So go ahead. What was your first big break as a coach? As My first big break was um, – uh, uh, playing hockey in Fort Wayne with the mm-hmm. Comets as I was a player assistant coach. Then I went up to Muskegon, and and that was really Larry Gordon uh, met me in a bar in Quebec City at the 1993 draft, and he said, "Do you want to coach?" Because they had just gotten a team um, in Muskegon where the Pittsburgh Farm Club used to be, and it was a new league called the Colonial League. It's been in existence a couple of years. Excuse me, and I said, I said, yeah, it's interesting, but I, you know, I just came off a ninety-point season, and I want to play till I'm fifty. And <laughs> he says, well, I'll offer you three years to coach. And I went, oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, three years because once you hit twenty-seven or twenty-eight, and you're a minor league player or classified as a minor league player, you don't get two and three-year deals. Yeah. So I'd had ten straight years of one-year deals, and I knew the minute that I didn't have a good successful scoring year that I would be in trouble. So I took the job. Um, and after that first year uh, where I'd played in Fort Wayne, a job opening came and they came came to me. So that was my big break because the IHL at that time was probably on the same plane as the AHL. And uh, uh, the first year we had a good team and I won the coach of the year and we went to the finals but that break is the one that got me known in uh pretty well most places when you look at your you know your your career i mean it, i mean it, it had to be really difficult to bounce around as much as you did though oh my god it it did i mean you know with a player it, it was great because who does not love playing i loved getting up every morning and playing it was uh it was so much fun uh, as a coach, the the stressfulness uh, 
is a lot more. Like when you play and you lose, you can go have a beer, relax. You're gonna you're gonna come back tomorrow yeah. and and play again. As a coach, you take that game home and you dwell on it until the next game. And there was a big difference. But you know, like it it didn't come easy. Like I mean, I did that in Fort Wayne, and then um, I got let go. The, the next year was a lockout year, so we were an independent team and we had nobody and all the NHL players. Uh, that's my excuse anyway. And so I got I got let go. But the next year I went to San Francisco. It was really funny. Uh, it's not funny. But um, uh, me and, and my new wife, Crystal, went to San Francisco. It was a new, a new franchise that ended up losing, I think, uh, 13 to $20 million in their first year in folding. So they had no money. They did all their advertising in August. And at the third game of the season, after the third game of the season, they let me go. And, uh, but, uh, uh, they said, okay. Um, and then we don't, we can't pay you. So I ended up taking them to court and everything else. And, um, but the funny thing was, and you're talking about how career paths take, take shape here is we're sitting at home and, or in San Francisco with nowhere to go, nothing to do. So we, we packed up the, uh, we got a U-Haul moved ourselves and we didn't know when we were moving back east. We didn't know where we were going to stay where to live. Uh-huh. So well, we talked about it the whole trip, and we decided, okay, let's go to St. Catharines because we have a hockey school there, and at least maybe I can promote the hockey school during the winter, even though I don't have a job, no prospects, or anything of that nature. And uh, so that's what we did, and I was closer to my kids anyway, so that was probably uh, played a bigger portion of, of why we moved back there. But uh, uh, it's sometime in, in March of that year, um, Steve Bartlett, a player agent, phoned me and he said, hey, uh, uh, they're going to start a new team in the East Coast League in Mississippi. I think I can get you an interview. Would you go do it? And I got in the car and I drove to Roanoke, Virginia the next day and interviewed. And, and I got the job in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, where they had absolutely no, no idea about hockey. And it was really funny, but we created a um, through the marketing people and everything else, uh, uh, created a pretty good environment where we averaged seven, 8,000 people a game. And they had no clue what the game was all about. And we won a championship there. And then I got lucky enough to uh, move up to the American League and sort of the rest was history. But uh, there was times there when we were driving home from Fort Wayne, I remember we were staying, or from San Francisco, where we were staying in, in motels at eighteen dollars a night, and because we had no no money, no nothing, and uh, we survived that year on my parents lending me money and taken from the hockey school before the hockey school had even you know uh, started. So I mean, we were praying that it would go right. because I'd already been spending all these people's money. <laughs> so it it was lucky that it went and. And, uh, you know, I mean, you need a little bit of luck, but I think more than anything, if you want to be in hockey or in any sports, you need a little bit of perseverance. And that's what we did. Amazing. I used to go to Biloxi all the time when I lived down in Florida. And uh, Mm -hmm. I still remember, I don't know what you said that this clicked of me in the like late 90s talking to Chuck Fletcher on the phone. They just signed Ray Whitney to a Mm -hmm. contract at like two and a half million. And he went he went on this rant about like. If if a twenty goal scorer is making two and a half million, just imagine what like you know the the salary is going to go to, and then all of a sudden that was the year that everything started to explode. Yeah, and well, Chuck was right. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, 
it did explode. And and now, I mean, a twenty goal scorer is a is a four million dollar player plus. It's crazy. And it's uh, uh, money's it's not the way it, it used to be. And uh, I don't think it'll ever be that way again. And I think it's it's not going to slow down. They talk about the hockey, the salary cap in hockey, and uh, but I think there's a new um, TV. Uh, yep, contract, contract to come, come up, and I think it's going to be an awful lot bigger than the one they they had with uh, NBC and MSNBC. Yep. So I think uh, I th- I think that's going to be a ton of revenue. Um, so they're moving, doing all this stuff overseas. I mean, they're pretty amazingly smart people to to get the revenue up in hockey where it is today. Yeah, you um. Uh, the the one thing I did want to ask you about is is that day that you got the call from George McPhee that you were being promoted from Hershey to Washington. Uh, that has to be the most fo- you know one of the most fondest memories of your career. Oh, absolutely! And you know what we had said. I mean, I was very happy uh, with no real asp- aspirations. I dream about it, but I didn't think it was ever going to come mm-hmm. true. I mean, I was fifty three at the time and um, thinking, okay. It's got to happen either this year or next year, and we'd just won the American League championship, and we just went to the finals two years in a row, and so I'm thinking, okay, it might happen. Um, but when Doug Yankst phoned me, it was about six fifteen in the morning, and woke me up. I was Doug, what, are you, what the hell are you phoning me for at this time in the morning? And he said, listen, and he says, sit up. And so I sat up on the bed. <laughs> I didn't know what the heck had happened, and he says. Uh, uh, he says, George McPhee is going to call you in five minutes. And uh, um, I want, he's going to ask you to be the coach of the Washington Capitals. And I said a few expletives, uh, I mean, <laughs> positive expletives. And uh, uh, he, uh, and I said, okay, I'm waiting by the phone. And so I hung up the phone and just stared at it. I hadn't even woke Crystal up by this time. And then she woke up with the phone call and I went, put my finger to my mouth, don't say a word. And George said, uh, um, uh, he said, you want to coach, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and eyes lit up. And I think I asked, how much? No, he told me how much I was making, too, uh-huh. and which was quite a raise from your American League coach. Right. And it was, uh, so I said, yes, I'll be there right away. And I told Crystal, and then we just ran in into Brady's room, and all three of us were jumping on the bed. Um, just like like little school kids uh, at Christmas time, and we couldn't believe the uh, couldn't believe it. I couldn't wait to phone the rest of my kids and yeah. um, just packed my car and forgot how to go to Washington. I mean, everything was crazy. I remember walking in there the fir- with with two big suitcases, and I don't know why I didn't leave them in the car. First of all, <laughs> but I walked in and there's Brooks Lake, and he says, "What are you doing here?" And I said. I I don't I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I had no answer for him, so I went in and I remember asking George. Uh, he says you're an in, um, what do you call him? Uh, you're interim. Coach. Oh, yeah, interim. I'm interim coach, and all I was really worried about was, listen, when this interim thing is over, do I still have my job in Hershey? Yeah. And he said yes, because I didn't think it would last, and it. Wasn't supposed to last. I was supposed to be there two weeks maximum. From I've heard, I not didn't hear this or know this at the time, but two weeks maximum. And uh, it just so happened 
we started winning right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And so the two weeks became three weeks. And then we kept winning and we kept winning and we kept winning. And until at the end of the year, I mean, he didn't take the interim tag off till um, we won. uh, uh, We won the division. You know, we went from last place to first place and won the division. And and it was really cool. And that's what that pitcher is. That's playing Philadelphia in that first round of the playoffs. But um, so I got the interim tag taken off after that. But uh, that's uh, that's how I got the job. And I would never, never have expected it at at 53. And there was no real indication that, you know, I mean, um, people were looking at me. I'd never had an NHL interview uh, any of that, of that sort. So, I mean, I had gone to NHL camps and like when I was owned by the, the Kings, when we were, we started in Manchester and Lowell, but, and Andy Murray taught me so much about hockey, but, um, never, never thought that I was ever a candidate for the Los Angeles job. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I never, never, felt that it would ever happen and i didn't even think about wanting it that was andy murray's job who had helped me out never thought of of if he got fired that i would take over and that never i mean so that didn't come to fruition at all but it it was nothing i ever thought would happen anyway um and once i was in hershey all i wanted to do was make sure that i had uh, i could coach there forever Mm -hmm. and he had just given me a four-year deal. I'd never had a four-year contract in my life, and and so uh, the call-up was pretty pretty amazing to my family. And uh, uh, the the only thing I regret is that my dad wasn't around to yeah. see it. Yeah, and your dad was the big reason why you were a player, right? I mean, hundred percent. I mean, he, he, I love the I love the story that he put a curse on the Leafs when they got rid of you. 1983. <laughs> He yeah. said the Leafs will never win a Stanley Cup now that you're out of their system. And, you know, lo and behold, I mean, it could happen any time, but it hasn't happened since. Yeah, yeah, since I mean, he might have, he might have uh, done something there. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and here you are, I mean, what, 12, 13 years later, and you got the third best regular season points percentage in NHL history beside, behind Scotty Bowman and John Cooper. Cooper passed you last year, by the way. I know, so but he's to, but I can. He's got Stamkos and Kucherov. I don't Hedman. think. I, well, the thing is, I don't think I I can ever get a better record than Scotty. But yeah, I I, I think this year will be a teller, and and I think I it doesn't matter who he has or the fact that he's been in the NHL five years less to uh, less than I have. But uh, uh, I think we're going to do well enough that I can you, get back up there again. There. Yeah. It's only by a couple uh, hundredths, I think it is. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so you, you, you'll be jockeying back and forth. Um, you know, it is it is interesting to me that that um, you know you you came to obviously Minnesota. I think a lot of people thought you were maybe going to go to Ottawa, or Calgary. Mm-hmm. Both those coaches have been fired since. Yeah. Um, I mean, that says something, right? Uh, you know what? Uh, I think so. Um, uh, yeah, I, I always am positive. Who are saying, well, if I was there. Wouldn't have got fired, yeah. but I mean, it can happen, and it's part of the business. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm lucky. I, I got a lot of good players here. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, last year was a little bit of a de- derailment, but I think we're back on track. Um, but uh, you know, the first two years we had a lot of good, a lot of good players, a lot of good depth, um, and I still think we we have that now. Tell me about your mom. 
my mom, she's uh, Teresa. She's the best. Eighty-five. And yeah, she'll be eighty-six in uh, in two months, and she's uh, she'll sit and watch hockey all all winter long. She yeah. waits for it um, when she sees our games because she doesn't stay up too late to watch them, um, especially when I was on the West Coast. And she'll read about it the next day. But uh, if she watches a game and we're not doing good. There's something wrong. I did something wrong. It wasn't the hockey team, and she'll let me know all the time. Um, and she doesn't like me cursing, um, so she gets <laughs> mad at that. And uh, but she's, you know what? The, she's she'll give me she'll give me crap. But if anybody else tried to say something yeah. negative about me, she'd be like a little lion all over the all over them. And and I think I got a picture upstairs and. Uh, her and Crystal at the game last year, which, I mean, there wasn't a lot of bright spots, but that was probably the brightest spot of the yeah. season. It's crazy. I mean, you're down 2 nothing a minute in. You had to be like, are you kidding? I mean, is there part of you there that is thinking, oh, my God, my mom is in the stands? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, that's where I was getting so mad. My mom is here, and we're playing like this, <laughs> and I got so mad. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when teams take really early leads, they really let up. They don't yeah. want to. They think it's going to be point yeah. night, and and they stop playing the way that they're supposed to be playing. I think the Leafs did that that night, and then we got one, and I think it was two to one after one, and and then we made it two to two, and we started to believe, and then the Leafs had lost their mojo, and and they couldn't get it back, and we ended up winning four three or something. Yeah. But uh, great moment, great picture of her with her fingers crossed uh, yeah. um, in the last minute and minute or so, and. I, I, it was a real exciting time for her, and and the Wild really took did a great job of of making her feel comfortable, getting her a hotel room and and the tickets and everything yeah. else. And so uh, I owe a lot to that. And it is, uh, by the way, if you're a new Athletic subscriber, uh, that was one of my favorite stories I wrote last year. Was that feature on you and your mom uh, leading into the game, and then what a perfect story during the game to you know to cap it off with you giving your mom a big bear hug at the after the game was over. It, it was a great script. And now the uh, the thing is, they're doing it again. Yeah. Okay, so Crystal's going to Toronto in a couple of weeks, taking my mom <laughs> to the game. And it's hard to duplicate history, but uh, uh, I told her, yeah. like, she better be ready for us to win or she's not going to get to do this anymore. <laughs> So, but she's pretty excited. Well, a couple to go. of the big players in that game are no longer with you, so uh, so uh, you might have to get some new heroes in that game. Yeah, and Coyle didn't he score oh, yeah. a huge goal? Coyle, um, Niederreiter, yeah. yeah, yeah, they had a couple big uh, big goals. But you know what? Maybe Fiala or Donato. Yep, um, will step up and and score game winners. Yep, or Rask. Or or Donato or or <laughs> or, or Rask or Rask. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, not to, uh, and we'll get talking about the team in a second, but I did want to, you know, you mentioned Andy Murray being a big influence. What other influences have you had in your career uh, besides, obviously, your mom and your dad? Well, I mean, as far as coaches that have had uh, an effect on me, Andy Murray in coaching, Roger Nielsen mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a player and a potential coach, um, just the way he a acted with players and uh, how he – his inner interchanges in, in conversations and uh, innovation that he did. Uh, I always, always admired him. Um, how he was always even keeled, very rarely got mad, but when he got mad, you knew he was mad. Um, 
George Armstrong and Jr., who was uh, uh, the only person that you you respected and liked him. If you were from Toronto or you knew the Toronto area, he was a captain of the Maple Leafs for 17 years and the longest tenured captain uh, in their history. And so the automatic respect. But, I mean, we were to a point where we wouldn't we, – when we lost – we weren't upset for us. We were upset that we let our coach down. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not like that today. No, it's <laughs> you know I don't know. I, I you'd always love it to be, but yeah, I don't yeah. think it is. And and then a, a coach I had in minor hockey, Bill White, uh, taught me all the aspects of the game, all the details, which I don't think coaches teach the kids now. So I mean things that were so natural um, uh, to us of things that we did, like I mean the rules, like. And if we're winning by one goal, we never pass the puck back to the point. Yeah. Because if it hopped over the stick or anything else, we had to keep it below wow. the circles. Little stuff like that that never happens. Or how to take a puck off the boards, how to doing these things, and, and just the little fundamentals of everything. Um, he taught me all of that stuff. And uh, so he was a big influence in my hockey life too. So those four coaches, um, other than my dad, were tremendous influences on on what became me. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was still the same way? Like Brent Burns would have like five points a year. <laughs> I mean, like if you think about it, I mean, that is the San Jose shark system. It's like, all right, throw it back to the point. Let Burns throw. Oh my throw God. Yeah. Burns. And, uh, that's, but, and they do it right. But this was only if you're protecting the lead with five minutes to go okay. or less in a game. I got you. I mean, so it was just like these, these things that I watch now. And, um, it, there's no fear anymore. Yeah. If you're down by one, you're in there, or you're up by one, and you're in there, like you still have the yep. D going. We wouldn't allow. He wouldn't allow the D to to make. We were we were an offensive team, but if you had that one goal lead, it was all about protecting that lead. Yeah. Um. And and I think it's a little more helter skeltered nowadays. Not such a uh, weird segue here, but you mentioned Andy Murray, and one of the first things that came to my mind was 9-11 because Andy's mm-hmm. the reason why you didn't get on that plane that day. He's the reason I'm alive today. Yeah, yeah and uh, I'll always never forget that. I mean, uh, for people that don't know, it was uh, on September 11th um, was training camp opening in Los Angeles in 2001, and uh, um we were at a wedding. Bill O'Flaherty, who was the director of player personnel, his daughter was getting married on um, the Saturday. And I'd gotten a call from Andy who couldn't make the wedding. And he said, listen, I want you to come to L.A. on Monday and not Tuesday because I want to have a coach's dinner. Uh, and go you over." coaching Manchester. I was coaching Manchester to go over uh, everything that we want to do in camp. And I said, great. Changed my ticket or had – their guy uh, John Wolf changed the ticket and uh, I was going in and at this at this wedding I was with Ace Bailey came with him and everything and tried to get him to change his ticket and he was a scout for the team at the time and he didn't and obviously but I was I was on the flight with him we flew together everywhere and uh, it's still uh, every September 11th I watched the movies and that and the documentaries and I get chills and and tears and everything because yeah. it's a it was a crazy time. Really lucky. Yeah, Ace was the director of pro scouting, and and he just mm-hmm. didn't change his ticket because it was too expensive. It right? was too expensive. He didn't want to you know make the Kings pay an extra seven hundred and fifty bucks right. for a change of ticket. Yeah. So he said, Ah, heck, I'll just be there Tuesday. We'll miss the dinner. Right. 
And uh, Mark Bavis, another scout Mark, with the Kings, was mm. I think went standby to go with. If I remember, if I know the story right, went standby to go with. Ace, really, I didn't know it was standby, yeah, but that's I, I believe. quite possible. But, um, I do know that the scariest moment that gets me chilled up is my kids didn't uh, didn't know I went the day before. Yeah, they thought you were on the plane. They thought I was on the plane, and so in on the TVs in in school, uh, even in Canada. Uh, Back then, all the the TVs were were showing everything, and they ran. They didn't know, and they ran out, and um, and they just ran home and and started phoning. So that yeah gets me wound up. Yeah, mm. and that that and so they just. I mean, it was Casey and, and Casey and, and Ben and Andy, and yeah. and they all ran home at the same time. And uh, uh, thank God, Crystal was home. She fielded so many calls from people mm-hmm. that thought that. That I would be on that plane that day. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. So, man, um, and I think I told you in 2001, the Panthers. When I was covering the Panthers, they, it was the NHL draft. So that's what three months before. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm up at uh, Incredible Ice, where which is now the Panthers practice facility. And I brought Ace Bally and a couple of the Kings PR people back to the the hotel. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was the first time I ever met Ace Bally. He's um, he was a, and you'll never forget you know, him if you've met him. Yeah, no, you no know, doubt. He's quite. He was quite a character. Yeah, um, unbelievable uh, tragedy there. Um, let's talk about the team a little bit here. Uh, we're we're recording this on Monday. Uh, today was final cuts, or what we think are final cuts, depending on what happens uh, Tuesday. I mean, technically, there's roster flexibility uh, now that if Bill Guerin wanted to make a move, pick a player off waivers, whatever. He has that ability. But right now we think that we know the team with JT Brown being put on waivers and uh, Louis Belpedio being sent to the minors with, you know, as a, my gut instinct as a reporter tells me that if you're keeping Susie over Belpedio when Patterns hurt and is a right shot guy, that there's a chance that Susie plays. Um, well, there is a chance. And, yeah. and I think, but more importantly, we were looking at, um, we were either going to look, okay, right hand shot needed. Mm-hmm. Um, size needed because mm-hmm. I mean with pattern out our, our defense is pretty small and with um, uh, if Belpedio plays you know we've got a really small defense and even though they're more mobile um, we went with the larger defenseman who's really we thought has played pretty well in, in mm-hmm. training camp and moved the puck well eliminated forwards well and you got Brad Hunt who can play the right side, so we weren't as worried about about that. So mm-hmm. that sometimes making a team, it comes, uh, it's the, those little things did whatever the needs were. And we told Louis today that he'll be back. He'll play mm-hmm. games. He's he's improved a hundred percent from this time last year. Yeah, and similarly, Susie. I mean, he was. I mean, to be frank, he was one of the most disappointing players in last year's camp, and uh, for him to come in here, a hundred percent. He played the the four or five previous playoff games with us the previous year when he was a rookie. So we were expecting him to come in and really put make a push into to making the team last year. But he had a horrible, horrible camp, mm-hmm. and we were so disappointed in him. And I think he probably went home this year uh, or last year. It says that'll never happen again. Yep. And and it wasn't his conditioning; it was his poise and everything else. And he was right up there and played. Uh, five or six, you know, I think he played every one but one preseason game and was a plus player, and uh, and that was great, and he played really well for us. So do you feel like you have a decision to make uh, Thursday night, whether it's Lucy or Sealer? I think I think it's 
I think it's a, a valid question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Dumba is one guy that in camp you'd never know he was hurt last year. Uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable the way he's shooting the puck, the way he's not fearful. This is the one that, that gets me is that he doesn't seem at all like there's any sort of mental uh, block about him going into tough areas. Not one. And if you recall, and you probably uh, said something in your mind at this one in the first preseason game he played at mm-hmm. home, he went and challenged a guy basically yeah. to fight. And I'm sitting on the bench or standing behind the bench going, no, don't you do, don't even dare. Yeah. Because that's how he got hurt yeah. last year. But he, exactly echoing your statements, I mean, he had no fear in doing this. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, and if you watch him, he, he put in an awful lot of time into training to get back to where yeah. he is today. I mean, uh, he had four points in four preseason games, uh, and, he, and he didn't, you know, the power play wasn't, clicking on all cylinders and when it does it's uh he's going to be a special player yeah i mean do you think that he has a chance for 30 um i thought mike green well mike green was the last one to do it right and i think he's he's got every bit uh a better shot than mike Mm -hmm. but and his hockey instincts are just as good so uh the only difference is we had quite a juggernaut offensive team Uh, in Washington at that point in time, and our power play was at 26% for the year uh, would be the only difference. Um, We're more of a – we we have to be a better defensive team because we can't win the game 6-4 all night long. And in Washington, if we were behind 4-1 after two, we just said, okay, let's go get them, boys. And that that was it. Uh, uh, You had, you know, a young Oveshkin, a young Backstrom, a young Simmons, um, you, you had these kind of guys that uh, uh, could really just turn it on at a moment's notice. Yeah. I mean, Dumbo, you mentioned his instincts. I mean, that play last night where he not only slides left but recognizes that nobody was confronting him. So he not only slides left, but he slides up between the circles and just unleashes the puck. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing a special defenseman does. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I think he's overhandling a little bit yeah, yeah. right now, but I think he's going to calm down <laughs> once the season starts. But, I mean – those are instincts that uh, – two things. One, um, in your mind, you know you can make those plays. Mm-hmm. And and two, just it's a natural to get get into that spot. And I think the first couple of years in this in this league, he was trying to um, just put it into little areas, you know, like be too cute. Yeah. And now he's just winding up and shooting it. And he's got an idea of where it's going, but he's putting it on the net. Yeah. And a shot of his caliber is – going to go through goalies or it's going to squeeze through goalies yeah. uh, an awful lot and uh, um, that's what he was doing last year till he got hurt yeah it, it does uh, it does uh, sometimes it makes me laugh him playing with Suter because you know that it sometimes drives Suter nuts when when, uh, yeah, when Matt but, starts freelancing but I think he's coming around yeah yeah like I mean um, in the past if uh, Ryan had asked me who I'm playing with and then I said you're, you're still with Matt he would have said Oh, okay, but now he was really pumped up about playing with uh-huh. him. So I mean, uh, I think that's a real positive sign, and yeah. and Brodeen is really excited about playing with Spurgeon. So yeah. now you have a really good offensive group that can play defense, yep. and a really good defensive group yep. that can 
that can skate and play with most any yep. other line. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. To hear more of this interview and to get all the extras and bonuses of this podcast all season long, please be sure to subscribe to athletic.com slash straight from the source, and that'll get you a discounted subscription uh, for the full year. Again, if you want to hear every single interview in full, plus get all my extras and bonuses, you got to go behind the paywall. Subscribe to theathletic.com slash straight from the source.